Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh, and well-being. It is but one of many wonderful educational platforms of the Eden Center, which is transforming the mikveh experience and educating women how to use mikveh as a vehicle to connect to women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships. Check out our website and please consider making a donation to support our work and this podcast, www.theedencenter.com. Enjoy Shani's wisdom on the Parsha. Hello and welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. This week's Parsha, Parsha Shlach, introduces us to a phenomenon that unfortunately is all too familiar with us in our personal and national lives. Some call this the Meraglim Syndrome, otherwise known as the Grasshopper Complex. For the Meraglim have returned after seeing the beauty of the land, and in fact, they report to the people, The land is in fact beautiful, the fruits of the land, magnificent, ephes, but all that doesn't mean anything. There are fortifications and there are giants and how are we ever going to overcome them? And sure enough, even after Kalev says, because we can, we have it within us, we have the strength and the confidence and we have the help of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Alon na'alevi but then the Anashim responds, no, we can't do it. The people of the land are too strong. And what is their explanation? It's a land that eats in it, its inhabitants. The people of the land are so huge. And in fact, we could look at, at this as something so positive. The people indigenous to the land grow large. The land breeds strong, large people. And yet, what did they say? No, we saw these large men. They're b'nei anak. And this seems to be the root of the problem. And in our eyes, we were like grasshoppers. And so we must have looked to them. Rashi explains, How did we look to them? It must be We heard them say one to the other, We heard them say there are ants in the vineyards that look like human beings. And the Chizkuni explains that's why the term they were using all different types of insects to reflect or really project their own insecurities. These 12 princes, or 10 ultimately, for Yehoshua and Kalev are going to try to project confidence. The 10 of them see themselves as small insects. The Nitziv explains, And why is this? Just like by Shaul as well. They looked around to see whatever reason for which they would fail. Unfortunately, this psychological projection of seeing something in ourselves, especially a lack of self-esteem, and then attributing it to others is so dangerous. Dangerous that it leads to the tragic results of Am Yisrael also then feeling this amongst themselves, crying, 
not wanting to enter into the land of Israel and thereby being punished for the next 38 years of wandering in the Midbar. We see this Miraglam syndrome that the Meshachachma also explains that on one hand, the spies believed that God could defeat the inhabitants of Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't think that their generation could conquer the land. They said, Ki The locals of Eretz Yisrael are too strong for us. We cannot conquer the land, but don't worry, the next generation can. So it wasn't as if they really had a lack of faith in Hashem, but a lack of faith in themselves. And indeed, this is the most evident. And at the last words that they say, Van we appeared in our eyes like grasshoppers while we spied the land. And perhaps they use the term as grasshoppers, not only as the Chaskuni said, because they're so low and they're so tiny, but they're also aimless. And they also aren't really rooted in one place. And this terminology then, a feeling insignificant, compounded by a complete and utter sense of hopelessness and lack of direction, gives them the feeling that they can never live up to the standards that God has imposed upon them. And maybe this is really what HaKadosh Baruch was telling the generation. This uh, is a generation then that can't pick themselves up. They have such a terrible low sense of themselves. And the Midrash Tanchuma asserts that maybe Hashem could have even tolerated their low self-esteem. Amru Okay, it's one thing if you think badly of yourselves. Hashem said, it's one thing if you appear as grasshoppers to yourself, but when you said that this is how we must have appeared in their eyes, how do you know that? How do you know that you didn't appear to them as angels? And this is really where it starts. We take a look at ourselves and low self-esteem, this low self-confidence can lead to terrible results, can lead to a, a poor sense of body image, can lead to, again, us feeling based on society standards. It must be that this is what everyone thinks of me. And according to this Midrash Tanchuma, Hashem can forgive our sins if they stem from a lack of faith in Hashem. However, once we lose faith in ourselves, and we can't even pretend to have faith in ourselves, then we lose any opportunity to conquer Eretz Yisrael. Many of us struggle with this Miraglam syndrome. We don't have faith in ourselves and our ability to grow, and we hold ourselves back. That we see through another Midrash cited by the Baal Haturim, who similarly explains that when one giant would eat a pomegranate and then throw the shell away, the Midrash states that then the Miraglam would climb into the shell to seek shelter in it. Rabbi Norman Lamb, who passed away just this past week, beautifully explained, he says, if a man thinks of himself as no more than an, an insignificant insect, it is the inviolable, the inviolable law of nature that his fellows think of him as being no more than a mere grasshopper. If a man is willing to cringe in the pomegranate shells thrown to him, then through to him, they will indeed be. Notice this terminology, the lesson of self-respect, not accepting the shells of strange ideologies imposed or the way that we perceive society imposing them on ourselves. Today, we're going to discuss some of the negative effects of low self-esteem. 
We know that this is a basic flaw preventing us from reaching our true potential, crossing new vistas, surmounting life's hurdles, accessing new paradigms, utilizing opportunities. It all boils down, or okay, maybe not all, but a lot of it to insufficient self-esteem. And uh, we must believe in ourselves, have a positive, positive image. And uh, yet when we don't, they relate certainly to negative body image that at times can lead to drastic results. The miraculum we know are projecting their own feelings of insecurities that ultimately are contagious, that Am Yisrael feel as well, leading to the drastic results of the Midbar, leading to a whole generation that in the end cannot live up to their potential. This uh, idea then of low self-esteem, body image, the struggles we're going to address by meeting with Dr. Caroline Heiser Bolag, a renowned clinical psychologist and supervisor of the Hakshiva Teen Therapy Clinic and Private Practice in Jerusalem and Ramat Beit Shemesh, and I'll hopefully get a greater sense of what this phenomenon of low self esteem, especially as it connects to body image in our day and age, is all about. Certainly, as parents, perhaps many of us, of, uh, of those that may suffer from this, and we're going to see maybe even starting with ourselves. Wishing us all a wonderful Shabbat, a Shabbat wherein we can overcome this grasshopper complex. And as we find by the end of the parsha, look at the tzchelet of the tzitzit and be reminded of the kisei hakavod, be reminded as to how, how far and how high we can, scribe, we can indeed strive. Maybe this is why the first halach of the Shulchan Aruch begins by telling us every morning, Yitgaber ka'ari, we should strengthen ourselves like a lion to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that we have to put on our confident face, even when at times we feel like grasshoppers, overcoming that and striving to the Kisei HaKavod. Shabbat Shalom. Please join us for the next session in the Eden Center's Sexual Health and Intimacy series as our panel of experts discusses questions around the Kedushah of intimacy and how ideas about Kedushah impact on our sexual lives. Thursday, June 25th at 9pm Israel time. Register at bit.ly slash So welcome back to all our listeners on this Eden Weekly Parsha podcast, dealing with issues of wisdom and wellness for women. And today, as mentioned, I have the schut to sit and discuss together with Dr. Caroline Peiser some of the issues that we find in this week's Parsha. Dr. Caroline Peiser Bolag is a renowned clinical psychologist. She's a clinical supervisor at Hakshiva Teen Therapy Clinic. And she also has a private practice in Jerusalem in Ramat Beit Shemesh, dealing with a general general practice in psychology with a subspecialty in eating disorders. And therefore, even speaking to numerous psychologists, everyone said, you have to, you have to interview Dr. Caroline Peiser Bola because she really is the specialist in this area. And if we're talking about self-esteem, particularly now dealing with women's self-esteem and body image, then... I am so thrilled to have this opportunity. Thank you for making the time this afternoon. Thanks. So I guess my first tip to people to improve their self-esteem is have Rebbitz and Shani Tarragon introduce you because that's a real ego boost. So thank you. 
It's nice to sit with you and talk about this. Yes, yes. And for all of our Midrashat Lintamam alumni listening, it's wonderful that we get to, after teaching in Midrashat Lintamam for years together, Mm -hmm. to uh, talk about learning and living based on Torah values in and out of the Beit Midrash. So here we go, speaking about issues of body image. So very often people talk about body image as related to low self-esteem as we find the Miraglim in this week's Parsha. And this obviously has a lot to do with, again, expressions then of body image, perhaps leading to eating disorders, which I know you specialize in as well. Mm -hmm. So I know this is a lot to speak about, but how do you see the different issues relating one to the other and the struggle? Okay, so first of all, I think the term low self-esteem is a very broad one. Um, I think it's used a lot. This one suffers from self-esteem, that one. I think self-esteem is very, very broad, and most people don't have low self-esteem in all areas. There are areas that they may be very, very confident in. Maybe their academics, their intelligence, um, their sense of humor, their family relationships. Uh, Then there might be areas where they lack self-esteem or they have low self-esteem like in terms of um, how they, let's say, in Shaduchim and how they relate to the opposite sex in terms of their body image, or it could be the reverse. Maybe they feel very confident in how they look, but they're not confident in how, in in their abilities uh, academically, their intelligence, how they come across public speaking. So it's a very broad term, low self-esteem, and thankfully I find that most people don't suffer from low self-esteem across the board. And then the trick is really to figure out where are their kind of um, challenges coming in when it comes to self-esteem. And as you mentioned, body image for a lot of people can be one of the areas that they lack confidence in. Um, I think that the, we'll start with society and societal messages. I think the society we live in, in Western society is one that puts a premium on fitness and looks and thinness and I think that the expectations from women to be able to do it all, um, career, certainly in the religious world, also family, and then also you know, be in tip-top shape, um, are messages that we get. And it's, uh, it's there at all stages. Um, I think you know, teenage girls, I mean, as it gets younger and younger, you know, uh, young girls already um, can be affected and focused on weight. I remember my girls coming back from school, I don't know if it was sixth grade or seventh grade, where they weighed them in school, and then the girls, it, it was part of, you know, Tipat uh, Chalav, or I mean, the continuation, but then them reporting that a lot of girls said they were fat, and, you know, at a very young age, um, girls being aware of these issues. About how young do you see them? Uh, I think it's getting younger and younger, you know, eight, nine, ten people are aware. I think what we need to keep in mind also, as many of us are mothers, is first and foremost, how do we feel about our bodies? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in in an auditorium full of women, um, I'd be interested in how many women, if I ask the question, how many of you feel really good about your bodies? How many women would raise their hand? Mm -hmm. I think that in general, because of a lot of different messages, Um, but some of them coming from general society, we're very critical of ourselves and our bodies. I think that we have to be aware of what we say about ourselves because how we view our bodies and what we say about our bodies um, impacts our children, impacts our daughters for sure, and certainly uh, impacts our sons as well in terms of what they think they should be looking for um, in a woman. 
Um, think about how many times you've gone on a diet before a simcha, right? Because you want to look good for the pictures. True. Um, think about how many times you've commented, you know, we comment, I'm so fat, I can't believe it, this looks terrible, I look terrible in everything I, I have right now, nothing looks good on me. These are very negative messages that we're sending to ourselves and then also our whole family's hearing it. Um, so it's suggesting, first of all, a very critical attitude towards ourselves. It's suggesting that like when we diet for a simcha, it suggests that you know a critical piece of importance in preparing for a simcha is making sure you look good in the pictures, which again, is kind of natural that we want to look good. But again, what does looking good mean? Um, so I think um, that that's something to think about. Um, Do you see that this impacts relationships between spouses, meaning not just parents and children? I think it can. I think my sense is that women are most critical of themselves, even more so than men. It's not to say that there aren't some men who are critical, but I think... Can you say that again for our listeners, please? <laughs> I think women are more critical than most men, in our communities at least. You know, I, obviously there are men who are very sensitive uh, to weight issues, but on the whole, I think the ones, many women um, are experiencing low body image, not because their spouses are saying something. I'm not saying that there couldn't be that. There certainly could be, but that's not the only component. You can have... Um, and I, I've heard people describe that where they say my boyfriend or my husband, they tell me they don't have any issues with or they love my body, but I, I, especially when it comes to eating disorders, but I can't stand it. And therefore, how could they possibly be attracted or interested? They can't, you know, that must in indicate something's wrong with the spouse for being attracted when they feel so badly about their bodies. Um, so... I think if we're honest with ourselves, so much of you know us wanting to look good mm -hmm. is really so that our fellow women say, "Wow, you look amazing! You look great!" Because you know most of the men are not going to be commenting. I don't know that a lot of us are looking to draw their attention, but we really want other women to notice if we've lost weight or if we're looking good. So I think that we women um, often can be quite critical. I think it's also important to pay attention to how much of the time. Um, women are talking about dieting as a topic of conversation. People getting together and say, oh, you know, I can't believe it. I gained five pounds, but, you know, I started this diet or that diet, and then I'm starting exercise. And the next one, oh, my gosh, me too. I can't believe it. I gained this. It, it becomes a focus of conversation, right. whether people gained weight or lost weight and how much and what they're doing. And, again, obviously health is important and keeping in shape, but... I don't know how many other things would be considered appropriate um, topics of conversation mm -hmm. about our our bodies and our general health, but somehow weight and dieting is a really central conversation for a lot of people. I'm going to be much more sensitive to this, really, as you're 100% right. It comes up all the time, and I don't think we're even conscious of how dominance it is in, in our conversations with women. But you mentioned that, of course, it's important that we stay healthy. How do you balance this? Meaning how, how does one decide, okay, this is a little too extreme. This is, you know, an unhealthy body image versus a healthy body image. I mean, when you see different expressions or struggles of this in your practice. So again, I would differ, di differentiate between an unhealthy like body weight and an unhealthy body image. In other words, 
how do we deal with a body weight? I, I, you know, nobody's really hearing if I have high blood pressure or low blood pressure. I don't talk with people generally about it. Maybe my closest friend, if I got a diagnosis like that, but we're not saying, you know, my blood pressure is so high, I really have, I meaning, okay, maybe when we're 80, but there are many things we don't talk about. Uh, you know, I have flat feet, I need to get into dressing. I've been walking with it. These are not <laughs> things that most of us want to hear about. Why is weight something that we are, there's a, like a, a focus, such a focus on it. Obviously, I think that we do need to be healthy in terms of our weight, and we can sometimes get tips from, you know, from other people. But I think that it doesn't have to be a constant talking about it, because I think that that puts an undue pressure in terms of our own body image. Now, body image and body weight are really two separate things. Um, so frequently, you can find beautiful women, and you teach in seminaries, I'm sure you see this a lot, yes. that, you know, how beautiful objectively, if there is such a term even, if there is such a concept, but how beautiful or thin someone is and how they see themselves are not related. And, and the opposite, you know, you can have a full-figured young woman who feels great about herself mm-hmm. and who feels good about her body. So it, these are not um, really always matched up. And I think that body image will um, is shaped by a lot of factors. I think, first of all, um, the messages we got growing up um, in general, how critical they were versus how accepting to us in general. Then certainly, if specifically around our bodies, if there were comments made, if we grew up in a family that really values outward appearance, if we saw that modeled by our parents, were they particularly focused on exercise in order to look good, etc.? How did they relate to us and um, our issues with food and weight? I think that body image can also be affected by how affection is shown in a family mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, how our hugs and closeness were perceived. Wow. I think that sometimes in families where parents are not comfortable with physical contact, children can take from that a message that there's something about their physical expression of love and something about their physicalness um, that isn't wanted or isn't accepted. Yeah, which um, will certainly have an effect on future intimacy. That certainly you know, could have it. Wow. Yeah. I think that um, then also in terms of how we were perceived in, in general as a package, how our needs were dealt with, was there room for us expressing needs or not? A lot of our relationship to our body, let's say eating, Eating is a fundamental physical need. So if we're going to have difficulty with feeling comfortable with expressing and showing neediness, um, then we can develop difficulties around our eating. And so that, for example, can be one of the factors, one of the factors leading to an eating disorder is a strong discomfort or a message that a child takes in Again, not always what the parents intend, but sometimes a child takes in that I, sh- I shouldn't be too needy and I shouldn't ask for too much emotionally. And then they express it metaphorically in terms of food. So the more I can limit my intake, the better. Um, and if I take too much, I'm gross, i.e. I'm fat. Um, so like the most extreme distortions of body image you see with eating disorders where to the outsider, this is a person who's very, very thin, but internally 
they experience themselves as someone who is out of control and who needs too much. And therefore they have to rein themselves in so that that out of control and that excessive neediness and emotional hunger doesn't come out and become, and they don't become a fat person. So um, body image is really like so many other pieces of our self-image, something that develops starting early on and from messages that we got. Also, uh, messages we get as teenagers, obviously, um, sometimes, you know, it depends also what our actual body is, but sometimes we've been picked on by, um, by people mm-hmm. in the class or um, in social groups. Maybe we do have a feature that we wish were a little bit different and we got teased for it that can also um, affect it. But so much is what we internalize early on and often carry with us. So like for an exa- example, people who were overweight as kids and teens, even if they end up losing weight for much of their life, um, they still, when they look in the mirror, will often see themselves as heavier. And certainly their self-image is a heavier person. And the opposite, I grew up, I was always very, very, very thin. So after I had my kids, when I had gained a significant amount of weight, I did not see it. And I kept thinking, wow, that that dryer keeps shrinking my clothes. Why are they getting smaller? I don't <laughs> I understand it. Mm-hmm. Like That's really weird. I could not see it. And then when I lost the weight and went back to look at the pictures, then I could see it. But I would stand in the mirror and I would see a thin person. So, so much of our self-image is shaped relatively early on by messages that we get from the environment and how we filter those messages in. Um, And then we carry those around and um, it's not always, uh, we're not always affected by the feedback loop from the outside world. Depends how deeply ingrained those images are. They can change sometimes with, with, uh, you know, people giving us more positive feedback, but um, that's only one way. Meaning we really need to be aware of what messages we're carrying around and so i'm hearing from you that the earlier that we can deal with this in you know an adolescent's life the better because this will have long-term ramifications so if a a young female adult sits before you and says you know i hate my body i hate my body Mm -hmm. obviously you would try to figure out what's the root is it a control issue is it some emotional deficiency is it perfectionism? Is it you know a very a highly critical attitude? Is it black and white thinking? I'm either perfect, or, or my body's awful. I would also find out even there when people say I hate my body. Oftentimes there's pieces. There's right. Mm-hmm. They don't hate their whole body, but they'll point to different places uh, that they hate. Oftentimes it's connected to places that are fat that they feel should be thin. Or, um, you know, for some women, um, it'll have to do with parts of the body that are associated more with attractiveness. So Mm -hmm. for some women, again, this might have to do with messages that were given in the family about sexuality, but some will be very uncomfortable with their breast size um, in either direction and feel very incompetent in that way or feel disgusted. Certainly, if there was any kind of molestation or sexual abuse that can distort greatly um, how someone feels about their body and it often they associate their body with disgust because of the disgust they feel about what happened and 
what they might see as them being responsible for what happened. So they develop disgust for their body and their sexuality. Wow. And would you, would you somehow offer therapy to have them at some point love their bodies? Is that the goal? To love your body or at least like your body? Yeah. So I see that, uh, I usually see the self, the body image very much linked with overall self-esteem. Um, I see this a lot when I'm working with people with anorexia, that a lot of times they, you know, they frequently are, depending on what stage they're at, but they're frequently restricting their food. But, you know, as they're, let's say, coming, you know, working on getting better, so they're following the nutritionist's recommendations, but sometimes they'll come in and feel terrible about something that they strayed from the, you know, they, they, they cheated terribly, they, were, they, they went overboard and it will be like a small piece of chocolate. But a lot of times what's behind the day where they feel terrible about it versus another day where it was like, okay, I'll try next, you know, next time not to have it, has to do with something else that they're feeling very bad about themselves for, something they feel guilty or, so it starts off with their self image as a person and it expresses itself in terms of I hate my body. So I think that I think that it would be a broader um, therapy that's looking at overall how they feel about themselves, how they relate to their strengths and versus their challenges, um, how how accepting are they of themselves, how compassionate are they of themselves, learning to accept um, imperfection learning to be able to appreciate the whole picture. Um, obviously, there could be certain cases where it may be more specified to the body, meaning their overall self-esteem could be good, but something around their experience of their body, they got a different message around it. Um, and then we talk about, I think, that one of the first steps to changing it is to be aware of where they got the message. Mm -hmm. When did it come in? Where did it come from? Um, and then, you know, certainly with a young adult, they're in a position now to think more critically, in the positive sense of the word, where did I get that message, and do I want to continue to hold on to it? Do I want to continue to take it with me? Um, now again, that, that's a process. It's not just like a eureka moment of like, well, you know what, I, I don't actually want to. It has to be kind of worked through where it came from, why that might have been expressed. Is that actually what was being expressed by the person? Might it express the person who said it, their own struggles and limitations? And really kind of, you know, trying to understand that in the broader context of how they feel about themselves. And I was just thinking also, I'm sure social media plays such a huge role. Right. You know, both of you know, as you said, the, the environment, the culture, the home, the likes. So now if we were talking about, you know, the, the girls themselves, how about as mothers, both of us mothers of mm -hmm. teenage daughters, what should we be looking out for? When, when should we send our daughter to a nutritionist versus a psychologist? Are there any telltale signs of, mm -hmm. you know, of body image that should serve as, you know, as red lights for us? Okay. Um, so in terms of Look, I think that in general, if we're watching, we're noticing that our daughters seem 
very unhappy and very down on themselves, I think that could be an option to suggest um, therapy. Um, and again, you know, it really depends on the degree of the low self-esteem. Lots of teenagers' self-esteem um, roller coasters. So we're kind of looking for more consistent negativity coming from them about how they feel about themselves and seeing it affect their ability maybe to socialize, um, their willingness to participate in things, um, obsession over their food. mood. Okay, so that, that, that I would say was more general. In terms of food and eating disorders, if we're talking about, let's say, um, anorexia, what we're looking for is a preoccupation with um, weight and certain changes in patterns of eating. Mm -hmm. So one of the changes that oftentimes there's a limiting of food, but not just a limiting of the quantity of food, which is one thing. There's also a limiting of the types of food. So the first thing usually to go are the carbs, um, limiting carbs. Oftentimes then comes the heavier foods like meat. Many um, anorexics will become vegetarian because they find that the feeling of having eaten meat weighs on them. Um, obviously fat and junk, I would say, you know, the first thing that goes is fat and junk food, but that goes with any diet. And then comes limiting or cutting out carbs, becoming vegetarian. And then what you'll see is that there's a big focus on vegetables and proteins. I'm just thinking anyone who's hearing this though is, is telling themselves, oh, this is now a very healthy diet, right? Vegetables and proteins. My daughter is adapting a healthful lifestyle. Okay, so then that, that's something. So uh, then you would look for, it depends on um, other factors. Number one, you would look to see um, obsessive behaviors and uh, thoughts and compulsions around food. For example, counting calories, um, feeling particularly badly if they deviated. You know, someone being on a diet and eating, you know, their vegetables and their chicken shouldn't shouldn't be getting anxious if something changes in the food pattern or one time you're going away they should not become anxious of oh my god what am i going to do now if there's a great anxiety over um, new food situations if there's preoccupation with what they're going what they've eaten in the in the last meal what they're going to eat in the next meal um so anxiety around it comments about their body and negative body image um, exercise the, frequency right exercise um, intense intensive exercise so we're talking about daily exercise like an hour a day or more and again we're looking for a compulsive way of doing it mm -hmm. when people get in shape sometimes they get excited about exercise we're looking for that compulsion where they have to do it or a link between oh I ate too much I must now go exercise it off we're looking for, now again, sometimes eating disorders start really with with a young woman or a girl who's overweight. So initially they might be excited that they're starting a diet, but even when it starts off as a healthy diet, it can sometimes trigger uh, an eating disorder without, there seems to be something physiological sometimes where it becomes like a runaway train where it's hard to stop it. Um, as difficult as this is, I think we as parents um, have to be careful when our when our children are overweight what we say and what we don't and that's that is a real struggle because you know 
for a lot of us, we're just concerned with their health. That's right. And it's not necessarily about body image. Um, at the we don't same want to scar time, them for life. <laughs> right, at the same time, we don't want to scar them for life or make them feel bad about it. Um, so in terms of what parents should look for is, is, that, is that weight loss without a sense of where they want to get to. Mm-hmm. Right? They should be able to state a goal and a reasonable goal. If it's, I'll know it when I get there, that's worrisome. In general, healthy dieting for a teenager or a young adult should not cut out carbohydrates. I know there's, you know, these, uh, not the Pritikin, what's it called? Keto and other okay. diets. Okay, so if somebody's inherent, but let's say the keto diet involves a lot of fat, mm-hmm. an anorexic is not going to put fat in the diet. Right? You can have nuts and things like that. But in general, um, teens and young adults, even if they're dieting, should not be cutting out all carbs. Um, they don't need to become vegetarian. They shouldn't be anxious if they've made a mistake. It should be something that becomes like a more healthy um, lifestyle. There's something called orthorexia, which is a form of anorexia, but the focus um, of the person is on ostensibly very healthy eating or like mm-hmm. vegan, but the what's behind it is a similar kind of mechanism. You're not eating enough. That's another thing is that um, even if a person's dieting and wants to lose weight, a healthy diet should not go beyond, below a certain amount of daily calories. It's not acceptable to say, well, I just want to lose a lot of weight fast, so I'm going to go down to seven, 800 calories and then exercise, so that's, they're left with about 400. You know, depending on the age, you need at least 1,200. That's without the exercise. Your body has to have at least 1,200 calories by the end of the day in it in order to be healthy. Going below that or 1,200 and exercising, that should not happen. That's already... Um, you know, starting something off that can be very, very dangerous physiologically and and health-wise. Um, a lot of times as the person's losing weight, their mood is going down. That's another thing to pay attention to because when people are hungry all the time and they're not getting enough food, uh, they become irritable. And so you'll, you can see that the mood's going down. And we should just say it's adolescence. Right, that's a tricky thing. Look, parents can't always tell the difference, especially if it's your oldest child. It can be more difficult, or you haven't had a girl before, you know, or you haven't had a boy before. In terms of whether to go to a nutritionist or or a psychologist, when it comes to eating disorders, you need to go to a specialist. There are nutritionists who specialize in eating disorders and nutritionists who don't. If a nutritionist does not specialize in an eating disorder, they shouldn't be treating an eating disorder because they won't know the different techniques and approaches you need and the psychological issues that go into it. And I would say the same thing for a mental health professional, psychologist, social worker, whoever you're going to needs to have a specialty in eating disorder to understand the unique issues that come up and also um, be familiar with working with a team, which usually does involve a medical doctor, a nutritionist, and the therapist, and sometimes also a psychiatrist. And you found in your own practice that, as you said at the beginning, the numbers have significantly increased over, over the past five, uh, ten years? I don't know about five, ten, but over the last 20 years, certainly, yes. they've, uh, at least what, we're, what we pick up on is increasing, for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I feel that we can go on and on talking about this, and uh, I really did have a, a lot, um, numerous questions over here, but we're going to end with some positive takeaway tips. And for our listeners at home, what would you suggest in terms of practical tools to develop a more positive body image? Okay, so number one, um, I would not read women's magazines. 
Okay, uh, we're going to say that again. No reading women's magazines. You can read La Mishpacha, but okay. I'm saying Mishpacha of the Vogue and none of those. They're, they're, those are Photoshop pictures usually, and those of us who have had children, um, we will never be getting to that body again, uh, nor should we necessarily aspire to that. Um, I once said to my daughter, who's listening to this whole conversation I'm sure (laughs) which is great when she was little she was once playing with my uh my motherly belly fat that came and and I said you know I'm proud of this because this is a sign that you know I'm a mom that's beautiful Um, Beautiful. so I think that I'm gonna use that more often now too (laughs) um again I don't think that means we don't have to care for ourselves or you know try to stay at a healthy weight but even at a healthy weight, we're not going to have the bodies we had at 18. It's not happening. Our bodies change as we um, have children, and then they change as we age. Um, we have to educate young men about this also, right? Not to look for, you know, what they say, size 2 or size 4 is right. not going to change and not going to stay that way, right. and it's not meant to stay that way. Right, but that's going to come from also living in a family where, you know, the sisters and the mothers are not preoccupied with being size 2 and size 4 and are comfortable being a size 8 or a size 10. Um, or if they happen to be naturally built that way, that's not a topic of uh, conversation, neither about themselves nor about other women. I saw so-and-so. Oh, my gosh, she lost so much weight. I saw so-and-so. Did you see how much weight she gained? These should not be conversations because they're sending a message about what we're valuing in other people. Um, I think that each of us can sit down and write out for ourselves what do we think of our bodies and where do we get where do we get that message about the different parts of our bodies it could be positive things right we might say oh you know I really love my eyes and think why is that meaning maybe something that we've noticed ourselves but a lot of times we've probably gotten complimented on it and then where do we have negative views of our bodies and sometimes what we're thinking is well I saw in the magazine or I saw, you know, that's not what it looked like for them. And for us to realize that those are not realistic pictures for the most part. Those are people that either have been photoshopped or this is their primary hit um, scoop um, in life is, is, is weight and appearance. So they're spending hours uh, of their day taking care of their weight and to look a certain amount and limit their food, etc. Um, so really trying to look at that. I think for some of us, what could help, sometimes we can't always do it for ourselves, which is unfortunate, but we're motivated when we do it for our kids. So to think about what do we want our daughters and our sons to take away? What messages do we want them to hear? about how we feel about ourselves. And that goes for everything, you know, like uh, if we make a mistake, oh, I'm so stupid. I don't think we should be saying those not for ourselves and not. Um, and I guess in general, trying to adapt um, a more compassionate mindset. Um, and for those people who are interested in working on it, there are mindfulness exercises and meditations um, on loving ourselves compassionately and accepting ourselves. So. For those who want to look, you can. There is a Pelosi MBSR course online. It's free, eight weeks of uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and within that are some meditations that one does on um, compassionately 
loving themselves. I love this. That's what it's called, compassionately loving yourself. I don't remember exactly what the what the particular. This is uh, perfect. Eight weeks of a coronavirus quarantine. <laughs> no. Right, for and the next wave. That's exactly. right. Exactly. So Pelosi, P E L O S I E, and then it's M B S R, mindfulness based stress reduction. It's not only that, but it, it really is trying to, it's a, it's a way of focusing on uh, learning how to focus our minds and let thoughts that we um, might not like pass through us and be able to really more focus on things we want to focus on. Um, so I guess it really, you know, these are some things that I could suggest. I think the, in general, in, in the kind of therapy I do, the first thing is awareness. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming aware, whether that's working on it consciously to say positive messages actively, or noticing when you say negative messages, or noticing when you're talking about weight and paying attention to that, or having someone point out to you or checking in with someone close to you do you, you know what it what, what have you heard me say um so those are some uh, some of the ways i love what you said at the end that it really does affect the way that we interact not only with our children and not only with ourselves but everyone around us meaning what we project and the language that we use and when we think back to the miraglim who as soon as they said that we see ourselves as grasshoppers Based on what you're saying, they they were so focused. They became so focused then, we're grasshoppers, we're weak, we're nothing, that they couldn't even see the bigger picture. And it's almost as if Kalev and Yehoshua come back in to say, you know, you're just focusing on this. There really is a lot of good out there. Do you remember all the wonderful fruits and the wonderful potential that we saw in the land of Israel? Right, I think that's also an excellent example for what I'm talking about, about how really what we think about ourselves first comes from within. And then we sometimes can't even accept messages from the outside, but rather it goes the other way. Our internal image then um, is put on or is the filter by which we filter what comes in because how do they know what, how the others saw them, right? They're exactly. assuming that the other one saw them in that way. Essentially, they're taking their internal experience and projecting it outwards. When they saw these giants, they felt bad about themselves. Their insecurities came up. And then they said, and this is how they perceived us. We have no idea how they perceived them. Wow. Yeah. Such an excellent point. And the effect that it has long term, certainly right. for the next 38 years in the desert. Exactly. So let's hope for positive effects. Uh, Dr. Okay. Caroline Pizer Bolag, I cannot okay. thank you enough. I really, I, thank you I'm looking forward to, uh, to many future conversations <laughs> and interviews, if that's okay with you. And in the meantime, hoping that this will have numerous positive effects on the family, the community, and all of Am Yisrael, wishing you all a Shabbat Shalom. Do you know a man who should be teaching Chatanim? Encourage him to join Eden's upcoming online Chatan teacher training course. For more details, write to info at theedencenter.com. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you, or a yard site or death that you want to mark. Please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honor of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon 
Music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships and support. You can reach us at www.theedencenter.com. <laughs>